0: Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning: Sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some f bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today, and enjoy the episode. everyone quick trigger warning we do briefly mention suicide in this episode so if that's not something that you want to hear about then feel free to check out one of the many other episodes that we have there's categories on the website with uh, specific topics if you want to check those out otherwise enjoy the episode Hey everyone. Today I'm here with Rebecca. Rebecca is a third time podcast guest. I've said, no, I've said before and because recently we've had quite a few return guests and I'm like, they're my favorite. And I, I feel bad for saying that because like first time podcast guests might be like, well, but I am a good guest. It's not an offensive thing. It is like, cause we already have a relationship. Mm-hmm. We've already established things. It's really fun. And I love hearing the updates. You and I are Facebook friends, so it also, you know, we know each other on a whole other level. (laughs) So anyways, Rebecca J. McDowell, aka Snowflake, and co-host of the Bipolar Girl podcast, is a 39-year-old Colorado native who is an Army veteran, college graduate of the University of uh, Pennsylvania, UPenn. So this is new. This was not on your last thing. Congratulations. It's so exciting. Yes. I was so excited for you. And I even got like a graduation announcement in the mail and I was like, yay, I'm special. (laughs) So Rebecca is also a mother of two and wife for 18 years. She is also a full-time professional at the U.S. Department of Justice. You have so much going on. I know. (laughs) Rebecca suffers from several mental illnesses, which we've talked about previously on the podcast. Bipolar two OCD and ADHD for fun. Rebecca loves to travel both domestically and internationally and side note, one of my previous guests posted on uh, Instagram that international flights are actually really inexpensive right now and not getting canceled all around like it is for domestic. So just an FYI for other people. Uh, Rebecca enjoys time with her husband and kids. Her show, Bipolar Girl, is an internationally listened to show and wants people with mental illnesses or not to listen to the show. You can go to our website, which will be linked. It's bipolargirlpodcast.com. Definitely listen to it. I have been a guest several times. Several uh, actually co-hosting guests. Yes. Yes. So, um, Rebecca, thank you. Uh, Re- a side note, Rebecca's on because I had to reschedule a whole bunch because my thyroid surgery and then other guests have had to reschedule. And some have scheduled for like late. I don't put like a, you have to schedule this month, your interview. Like people could like get accepted and schedule for like September, October time. Right. So uh, some, some of them have scheduled further out, which all of this has made it a little chaotic. So I'm like, any of my friends want to bail me out? And Rebecca's like, I will come on again. And I was like, great. I love you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Um, well, so, yes, you, you get yourself a lot us. busier than we do because we always take the summer off.
0: Ah, uh, yes. I have never taken time off. I have pre-recorded like quite a bit in advance before, yeah. so I didn't have to, um, but I've never, yeah, I've never actually like taken time off. I used to be like a month ahead of schedule, but then, you know, life happened and yeah. you know, all the complications with surgeries and oh, it's venomous.
1: we had the same thing happen we were like a month and a half ahead and then like you know the shit hit the fan with me and it was like oh we haven't posted in like weeks now yeah
0: <laughs> people don't understand I mean hosting a podcast when you are the people that are doing all the things right like when it's our hobby and we're not paying people to do yeah, yeah it's like a one woman show you have like a two people show going on but it is like so much work it is for to put out like forty five minute hour hour and a half podcast
1: every week.
0: Yes, every week. Uh, one year, I was it last year or the year before. I I went down to every other week because I was so burnt out and almost quit. And I was just like, let's just scale back and see if like I feel better. And then and and I did. And then I went back to weekly and. So we'll see how everything goes. We'll see when I knock on one, get into a PhD program. (laughs)
1: Like
0: you might have to take a step (laughs) back when that happens. I know. Uh, I love the podcast, but like, yes, people don't realize we were talking before, like they won't hear what we were talking about before we officially got started. But like, there's so much bullshit we deal with when it comes to hosting a podcast. Like, yeah. Sometimes it makes and me not, really hate it. It's
1: <laughs> not just scheduling the guests, but then you also have those guests that schedule and don't show.
0: Yes, I've had no shows.
1: That happens a lot with us as we have no mm-hmm. show. and I don't know if they just get cold feet or if they get busy or you know, mine's really much a lot about mental health, so I don't know if they're just having a bad mental health day yeah. and it's like just tell me, just
0: yes. tell me. <laughs> right. I will. I, so I have a calendar, a scheduling tool, like a calendar people can go through. It spams you, you know, it is spams yep. you with reminder emails. Cause I've I've had so many people not, I mean, previously not show up. Um, once I started the spamming thing, it's gone down to like every once in a while. And I'm like, It has a reschedule button. And even if it's last minute, I mean, it lets you reschedule last minute, Mm -hmm. but if like something happens and you're like, you know, whatever. Um, I just got in an accident or, you know, I got sick or my, I had to pick my kid up from school. Just show me a
1: quick email. I'm
0: human. I
1: understand. I mean, shoot. I got your last email, Sam, like an hour before, and there was still a reschedule button. Like
0: really easy
1: i because i mean i don't want
0: people to feel forced to have to come on if something happened so i it literally lets you reschedule all the way up until the time of the podcast and then it it just doesn't because it's the appointment's already happening right yeah so anyways uh rebecca you um are not the only person in your family that deals with a mental illness but you Take care of it a different way. Tell us a little bit about that. Or you take care of it, I should say. <laughs> I,
1: I just flat out take care of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I have bipolar, and my brother has, my older brother has been diagnosed with bipolar. And um, I was diagnosed first. And after I got my diagnosis, I was like, yeah, you have bipolar. <laughs> I could look at what he was doing and be like oh now it all makes sense so at one point he was hospitalized he um threatened suicide and we got to him and we got him in the hospital and finally somebody took notice and said this boy is sick and they tried to treat him he didn't like the treatment Mm -hmm. stopped treatment and now we self treat, you know, we're self-medicating and everything else. And it just, it puts a certain level of strain on my relationship with him and his relationship with the wider family. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm dealing right now that right now with my daughter, um, who you've also interviewed when she became an adult, she decided I don't want to do this anymore and I don't want to take medication and I don't want to see a therapist and I don't want to do any of this. And so for over a year now, uh, and, and she, she, at first she was in denial. I, maybe I don't have bipolar disorder. Oh girl, you have bipolar disorder. He does
1: that all the time. <laughs> they were wrong. Like It is very obvious. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Cause once you know the signs, right. And the symptoms, you are well aware when other people yeah. have bipolar disorder. Uh, and I've had to, I I had not had to, but I've apologized to my spouse and my sister. And I'm like, if this is
1: remotely what y'all went through with me, I am so sorry. (laughs) Right. Like when you're on the receiving end of it, you're like this, like, then you look at it and you're like, this is toxic as hell. Like, (laughs) this is awful. Like you start feeling bad for everybody in your life that you went through before your diagnosis. Yeah.
0: And it's, And, you know, because you've been there, you feel, you feel for them. You're like, I'm, I have been there. I know what your brain is doing right now. And it's hard and and you can't force them to get help. Right. My daughter is an adult now. I cannot schedule her appointments. I cannot set her up with doctors. I cannot force her to go to treatment. I can't do any of that. Uh, when she was younger, I, I did all of that. I was like, listen you need to go. You have been hospitalized before. And, um, there's obviously something going on and now it's nothing. And and I just want to cry because I'm just like, I can, I'm worried it's going to end poorly.
1: Well, and that's the biggest thing with, with my brother is it's just like, you know, you can see the cycles because bipolar is very cyclical. And so, you know, we have our ups and we have our downs and when you're not medicated, they do, it's a cycle and I can just watch him cycle and it's just like oh my goodness and then just the fact of being unmedicated mentally ill and what it does to our brains and you know bipolar makes you very racy and your thoughts move faster than your mouth and makes it very hard to have a conversation with somebody and then you also get the brain fog which makes Mm -hmm. it very hard to have a conversation with somebody and so like I think the part that really hurts the most is that When my brother and I were younger, we were like inseparable. We're only three years apart. And so like we had all the same friends and our birthdays are a week apart. So we always celebrated our birthdays together. And like we were just buddies. And as he has gotten older and sicker, that has gone away. Partly because I have to protect myself and put up boundaries. Mm -hmm. Because he will trigger me like no other person in the world. I think the only person who can trigger me as bad as my brother is my son. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're very similar. So he will trigger me really awful. And then like, then I will spiral. Yeah. And that was basically our teenage years, you know, like we were just two ping pong balls bouncing off of each other Mm -hmm. and this mental illness and like, nobody knew what the hell was going on, but it was just awful. And so It really puts a strain on our relationship with him being sick like this. And all I want to do is just like, beg him to get help. Mm -hmm. But when he was hospitalized, I mean, you know, when they put you in the hospital, all they're trying to do is chill you out. Yeah. And so he was put on some heavy drugs and he, to his credit, he stayed on them for a while. And everybody was like, this is great. You know, we have our old, we have our old brother back. We have our old son back, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I am dying inside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he came off the medication and never went back on it. And now to this day, if I talk to him, you know, medication is, is the problem. Yeah. So you know, I, I talked to him on his birthday a month ago and I was telling him about how I went through all this stuff just recently. And he was like, well, it, it's because you're medicated. And I was like, well, it's actually because I wasn't medicated enough. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. It's the pills that do it to you. And I was like, oh, my God, this is why we don't talk. Right. Because <laughs> I, I can't like you can't. He gets stuck in his ways and it's like talking to a brick wall. And so.
0: I could totally relate.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> just and then. Not only does it trigger me, but then you have my parents who are dealing with this too. And they know a little bit about it just because I have it and what Mm -hmm. I have taught them about it and what they've learned listening to the podcast and things like that. But when he has a meltdown, I'm the first person they call because they're like, well, what do we do? And it's like, you can't do anything. Like, especially like when he gets manic, it's like, you literally just have to wait until he wears himself out. Yeah. He won't take any medication. So it's not like you have a rescue drug that'll just knock him out. Right. Cause you can't be manic if you're unconscious, but like he has to wear himself out. Yeah. That could take hours. That could take weeks. It just depends right. on the mania.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, she said that she hated the medication and it was awful. I said, maybe you need to try a new one. I mean, some people have to try multiple different kinds or different, um, levels to like even find stability. I mean, for me, I think we finally like six months ago found the right dosage Mm -hmm. that that works now. Right. As you know, like things could change a decade from now. Um, but right now I've been doing really good. Um, we have some things coming up that I'm not going to talk about on the podcast because, um, it's really personal, but that may trigger me. And I may need them to change it up, right? Or maybe it's working great and I'll be okay. You know, my psychiatrist said, as long as you're having mild, shorter, manageable episodes, that's all we can ask for. It's probably
1: never going to be nothing. And I was like, I mean, I'm the same way. I was perfectly stable and fine and able to graduate two colleges and hold full-time jobs and blah, blah, blah for 15 years. 15 years, I was like, I got this shit beat. Like, I am good. And then I just fell on my face. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it took from December until the beginning of this month to get it right. You know, I am just starting to feel right again. And it's like, it is a long process. And like you said, it changes. It changes as we age, especially with women. It changes with our hormones. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's always going to be in like it's just going to be different. And I think my brother and your daughter are very much the same where it's like, I didn't like what I was on. So I'm not willing to try again.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't blame them to an extent. Right. So I was misdiagnosed uh, with major depressive disorder when I was 20 or 21. Um, and my it was by my PCM and we have sent on the podcast, please for the love of God, do not let your PCM uh, be the one to diagnose and medicate you because many of them do not have enough knowledge about this to do it appropriately. No. So she misdiagnosed me because she didn't really listen. She only heard the depression part um, and put me on an antidepressant which some antidepressants actually make people with bipolar disorder worse, not better. It made me worse and I was like, F this I'm out. And I didn't try medication again until I got my bipolar diagnosis and she could tell I was really hesitant. And I told her why. And she was like, listen, I want you to go home and I want you to look up the symptoms because I didn't believe her had bipolar disorder. And she was like, I also would like you to try this medication. Just try it for a couple of weeks. If you don't see any difference or something goes wrong, we, we will reevaluate went home I looked up all the symptoms and I was like oh shit that's me
1: that? that? as soon as we got the diagnosis they were like it was actually a family counselor she was like yeah I think your problem is your wife is bipolar and we we're like what no that can't be and then we started looking it up and we're like oh yeah that fits." <laughs> like a freaking
0: glove and then I did I mean because at the time I was in a major depression depressive episode and it did help me um and I was like I'm starting to feel better now mind you they start you on a very tiny dosage so it's not like you're just like oh my god look I'm stable but I started feeling better and so we started moving it up so I understand why they'd be hesitant because I was too but Damn, you know that this is anybody who has bipolar disorder, you know what it can do to your life.
1: And it's exhausting. Yes. You know, that's my thing with my brother, is it's like I know how exhausting it is to cycle unmedicated. Like Mm. it is just literally exhausting. Your brain hurts, your body hurts. Like it's just so much. And like I had a very similar experience with yours, only my antidepressants sent me manic. Ah, and that's one of the ways that they diagnosed me. They were like, Oh, you were on Zoloft and you went high. Okay. Well that explains it. (laughs) Um, but like, yeah, I mean, usually with any mental illness, the first medication is not the right one, right? You know, and now they have that test. They have that gene testing. I heard about that. Yeah. Very, very interested in this, so they have that gene testing where they can tell you not just for like bipolar medication or mental health medication, but like blood pressure medication or any kind of medication, they can tell you which one will work best with your body
0: yeah, it's and amazing
1: it is amazing
0: I haven't um, done it
1: <laughs> I want to have somebody on the show who has done it though, like yeah. I really want to do that um, but the other thing also is. I've learned that if somebody in your family does really well with the medication, depending upon how close you are to that person in your family, genetically, you might also do well on that
0: medication. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I have preached constantly to him about try what I'm on, just try it, yeah. right? Just give it a go and see what happens. But we'd rather self-medicate. And, you know, at first, when you think about it, self-medication seems like it would work. But people self-medicate with either marijuana or alcohol and he does both and alcohol is a depressive. Yeah. So, okay. You're manic. You get drunk. You'll feel better. I did. That's why I was a real big, heavy drinker. But when you're depressed, you're just making yourself worse.
0: Yeah. Marijuana makes me manic. I will go into a mania mania within a few days of
1: (laughs) so you can't have any fun. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, no fun for me. I read somewhere that that can be a thing for people yep. with bipolar disorder. That it can. Oh, uh, let me tell you about the time I tried cocaine. It was only one time, and it was
1: when I, I was a bartender. That was interesting. Bipolar.
0: Holy shit!
1: <laughs> Talk
0: about mania. I I couldn't racing thoughts. They were racing so fast, like I couldn't. There was no keeping up. It was just. Uh, somebody had posted a meme on Facebook that I saw is like, uh, gases prices are so high that, um, cocaine's cheaper. So just snort some cocaine and you can run yourself around. I'm like, oh my God, if I do cocaine, I literally could run for hours (laughs) because it, oh my God, immediately triggered a mania. I was out of control. I was bartending. Everybody was getting free drinks. I was was like shots on fire. It
1: was was a good time. I'm surprised it didn't burn the whole bar down. (laughs) You know, and that's one of the things that we always talk about on the show too. It's like when they treat bipolar, they always want to take away the good times, right? Like as exhausting as mania is like, it's a good time. It is it, always yes, a good time.
0: except when I get very irritable. Sometimes when I'm I manic, get angry, I get irritable. I get yeah, but I get because otherwise. I get
1: overstimulated. Mm-hmm. You get that overstimulation, and then you're just like Argh! at everybody. But other than that, it's a good time. Oh
0: my god, the energy! I had a hypomanic episode, so I people listening know I, I had thyroid surgery, and I've had a, a ton of complications I haven't talked about on the podcast. But there was like a few days. Cause I t- we talked about shorter, milder episodes. There was a few days. I thought maybe I was feeling better from the surgery. <laughs> no, I was hypomanic because a couple days later I fucking crashed and I was just like, oh, it was hypomania, but that was up for those couple days. I had lots of energy. I was ready to take on the world.
1: I know I've told, I've told my therapist too. I was like, if I could just channel that hypomania, like at finals, yes school like and then hyper focus
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh my god I'd I'd be a millionaire if I could figure out how to do that right like that that's when I want it
0: instead it might end up being a depressive episode and then you're like I can't finish, these right? finals. I can't finish
1: anything now
0: <laughs> it's awful. awful I always have to stay like a couple steps ahead on my work in case I have a depressive episode because yeah. I mean, again, they're shorter and milder and more manageable now, but for a couple of days, I'm severely unmotivated. I don't want to do shit. I want to sleep all the time. And so I have to stay a couple steps ahead. So I don't like, if I go through an episode, I'm not like getting behind or anything on schoolwork. You got to be planning ahead for these things.
1: I tried to plan ahead, but I also have such a fear of failure. <laughs> <laughs> that the anxiety will get me up to do it. Oh, I'll do it. It just won't be my best work. It won't be my best work, but I will do it and I will pass. Damn it. I will pass. Yes. Because that, that fear of failure is just too, too deep for me.
0: Oh, same, same, very programmed into my brain.
1: Yeah. It's just, you know, and it's so funny because our youngest son likes to play like a million questions. Like, if you could choose whether or not to have legs or arms, which would it be? Like, does he have ADHD? We don't know. He probably oh, does.
0: Because my son doesn't. He just asks the most random, like 10 bazillion questions in a row. Right.
1: And at one point, a couple of years ago, he was asking what everyone's biggest fear was. And he asked oh. Stephen and, and Stephen was like, I don't know. It could be this, you know, and everybody was coming up with like dying alone or drowning or like being on fire. And he was like, mom, what's your biggest fear? And without even thinking, I was like, failure, yeah. failure. That's it. And he was like, that's not even a real thing. I was like, no, it's real. <laughs> yeah. When I stopped,
0: um, I had two businesses back to back. And each time I stopped doing the business, I felt like a failure, even though now I've come to accept that I'm just not meant to be an entrepreneur. I need a boss. Like, I'm just not a boss. I need a boss.
1: (laughs) And that's okay.
0: Yeah. But I was so hard on myself for so long. So I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, so how do you, does your brother live with your
1: parents? No. Okay. So. My whole family used to be in Colorado um, and then my parents retired and they moved to Florida and we were all very nervous about how that was going to affect him because they are very much his crutch for lack of a better word. Um, And so when they moved away, like he did. Okay. He was all right for a while because they're only a phone call away. Right. Um, But just a few months ago, right around winter time, he, um, he flipped out and he was yelling at his wife and it was a whole big thing. And like, my parents are calling me cause they don't know what to do. And so I, I called his wife, well, I called his stepson and I, and I was, you know, I'm just trying to get an idea of where everybody was. And he was like, where are you? He was like, I'm in the yard. I'm in the backyard hanging out. And I said, okay, where's your sister? Cause he has a younger sister. And he was like, Well, she's playing video games with headphones on. She can't hear anything. I said, Perfect. Where's mom? Oh, she's fighting with your brother. And I was like, Okay. So then I called his mother. The phone gets snatched out of her hand. He's on the phone yelling at me. I'm like, You know, and I finally told him, I said, I do not have to take this abuse from you.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, everybody else might have to sit in that house with you. I do not, sir like I can hang up this phone. And he said, fine, do it. And then I heard him throw the phone because it hit the wall. And at that point, it's like, okay, now he's being violent. Yeah. And I was on the phone with his wife. Like you need to call the police. You need to get the hell out of the house and you need to call the police. And um, nobody would do it. Everybody was scared to do it because what was going to happen? And that's a true fear, right? Like you have somebody who's manic, like the police don't always know how to respond. And like, we did a whole show on the podcast about that, about the fear of calling the police. But I did. He didn't talk to me for months. hmm Cause I called the cops on him. I was the bad guy. And it was like, yeah, but you know what? You chilled out. Yeah. Because somebody in authority showed up and told you to chill out. And for whatever reason, it flipped a switch in his brain. And I know it does. It always has. That's not the first time nor the last time I'll have to call the cops on my brother. But for whatever reason, it flips a switch in his brain. And he understands that he's got to hold it together at this point. Yeah. Because if they come back, he goes to jail. And he's been in and out of prison for a long time. And he doesn't want to go back.
0: I mean here in Connecticut you can call 211 instead of 911 and they will send a mental health professional with law enforcement backup to your house. So then you it takes away a little bit of that fear yeah. of like and somebody who knows how to handle it, right? Yeah. Like I only found this out from my therapist when before my son got his ADHD diagnosis, he was really angry all the time. I had to take everything he could throw out of his room because he was throwing it. He was screaming at me. He hit me and come to find out it was the ADHD because his, he couldn't, he kept telling us there was a monster in his brain and he couldn't control it. He couldn't control what was going on in his brain. And it was really frustrating to him. And he couldn't get it out because he couldn't articulate how he was feeling because his mind is racing. He literally could not focus. He couldn't do anything. And so um, my therapist had told me, like, if you need to call two one one and they will send a mental health professional, they'll send law enforcement back up in case they need like the, to restrain somebody, but the therapist or the counselor or, or mental health professional, whoever will actually come, try to calm down your son. And she's like, I'm warning you, they may have to hospitalize him if he's too out of control. She's like, but it's your safety and the safety of others in the house and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm glad we have that option. Um, but when I was in my early twenties, I definitely had tangles with law enforcement myself. Um, yeah. yeah. Because like, it's I not would unheard do, of. no, I do stupid ass shit.
1: Like you're just like I, things that okay, like, I look so back now and I'm like, why <laughs> he was walking through a parking lot late at night with screwdrivers in his pocket. And they were like, dude, what you doing? He didn't know. He was manic. Had no idea what he was doing. He knew he was doing something. It was important, but he didn't know. And they're like, they're looking at this, like he's breaking into cars or he's going to. Like, why why the hell else are you in a parking lot with screwdrivers in your pocket? He's like, I'm not breaking into cars. I haven't broken into any cars. Like, come on, you're just being
0: dumb. (laughs) I mean, I'm fortunate to be... I'm privileged to be a white girl because I tried to grab a police officer's gun one time.
1: Oh, I you was manic. Lucky.
0: Yeah, and I was also lucky that I lived in a small town and they all knew me because right, I bartended me. at a Moose Lodge and they all hung out at the Moose Lodge. So they literally just like turned away from me and said, "You do that again, I'm putting you in cuffs and you're going to jail." And I'm like just laughing, like <laughs> I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who does that? but I was manic I was just having a good time like I'm thinking what's the big deal (laughs) like like I said stupid shit
1: you know and it's it's so much different like you said with your daughter and with your son like if they're little you can control it right like Mm -hmm. you can control their doctors you can control their medication you can force them into stuff we're going through the same thing with our oldest son not that he has to be forced he very much wants to treat himself yeah but like I'm in control of that. Mm-hmm. When you're a grown person, I can't force you to do it. You know, we don't yeah. have laws anymore where you can commit people for yeah. very good reason. Exactly. But then when you're in this situation, you're like, damn it. Why don't we have laws where I can commit
0: somebody? Yeah. For their own safety and the safety of others. Right. And I want to preface this because you know how passionate I've been about this with all like the shootings and shit people with mental illness are not significantly more likely to be violent than people without a mental illness there's research to back this up please for the love of god don't take what we're saying as unlike like mental people are all dangerous that's not what we're saying
1: (laughs) i will say this he never went to jail for being violent ever it was always because i was selling drugs or I was walking through the alleys looking suspicious or I was drunk off my ass like yeah there was one it's actually kind of a funny story there is one time where he worked at a bar and he just got flat on his face drunk
0: oh I did that one time when I was working at a bar too
1: (laughs) he decided to walk home which good on you right for being responsible yeah. don't get in that car it was a very late night he didn't want to call a cab like he couldn't figure out how to call a cab but he knew the way home a police officer pulled to the side and was like hassling him and he was like but you're drunk and you shouldn't be out here and he was like dude i'm on my way home like you're being mad? responsible <laughs> i'm being responsible like what the heck like and they got into a huge fight and it almost ended up in jail but a supervisor came like the head guy came and I guess this was a rookie and the head guy was just like leave him alone leave him alone and he put him he put my brother in the back of his car and took his butt home (laughs) and they were just like stay here (laughs) don't go nowhere just stay here I mean because if you're manic you may
0: i mean i did definitely multiple times when i was manic drink and drive right because you're like i'm fine so the fact that he was walking home leave right? the hell
1: alone <laughs> that was the whole thing like typically he would have gotten in the car and just drove home because he's not thinking properly or he's manic or whatever or even depressed and he's like fuck it if i die everybody die yeah like but he was walking home like he was being good for what.
0: I remember one time I was getting right home from a police officer because again, small town, they all knew me and I had ended up, I fell in the bar and hit my head and, and the people at the bar were worried I had a concussion. So I, they had an ambulance come and pick me up and take me to the hospital. Well, they wouldn't release me to my fiance at the time, which is not my spouse now, but my fiance at the time, cause he was also intoxicated. And we're like, we're not releasing her to you because you're also intoxicating. And he's also belligerent and was the one that abused me. So like, they're not releasing me to him. This is <laughs> Yeah. One of my, they, I mean, they overheard how he was talking to me. One of my, uh, one of the police officers I knew really well was there. And he was like, Will you release her to me? And they were like, You're responsible for her if we release her to you. He's like, I'm gonna take her straight home. Everything's gonna be okay. Well, I was manic. And I was like, how fast can this car go?
1: <laughs> can I, I did, hit the sirens? Can we make it like, like no? <laughs>
0: he did show me how
1: fast a car could go. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> See, and that's the thing with mania is it's like sometimes it's not just you because like we can be very convincing when we're manic and it's like, yeah. no, 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 this will be fun. It'll be fun. Don't worry. That's
0: a good idea. Yeah. My sister said when we would go out drinking, she wasn't sure which Megan she would get, like whether I was depressed and she, yeah. by the end of the night, I'd just be crying my eyeballs out and like, I don't know what to do with my life. Everybody hates me, that sort of thing. Or if I was manic and she was like, you loved everybody. Everybody was your best friend. She's like, you made, she's like, you would buy rounds for people, even though you didn't have the money to do it. I remember one time I went to the bar and I checked in the ATM, how much money I had and okay. I was sober at that time. And I was like, okay, this is how much I can spend. I woke up the next day. And I had no money in my bank account because I had bought rounds of Jager bombs for people at the bar.
1: (laughs) That's one of the ways that Steven (laughs) knows that I'm going manic is I start getting real friendly. Cause I'm not, I'm not an unfriendly person, but I definitely have a healthy dose of stranger danger. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm a little standoffish at first, like, you know, when you're younger, they call it shy, but like, I'm a little standoffish at first. And he's like, when you start talking to strangers, I know there's something wrong. When you start making friends with people, I know, I know we're on the edge. We're getting there. Yes. It like that or all the Amazon packages that are showing up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. I got into, I got into some trouble with him because I started feeling myself go manic. And then I started realizing that I was up all night, not sleeping on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I, I caught it. I had spent a ton of money, but I caught it. And I told him when he came home from work one day, I was like, I have to give you my cards now. Yeah. Like, and I have to delete them off my phone and off of Amazon. And if we need to buy something, you need to do it. And like, I, I, I'm going to put us in the poorhouse.
0: I'm going to do it we have so much debt from my mania spending, like so much debt is freaking ridiculous. I mean, cause like I said, I have only been stable, like stable, stable. I mean, I was doing really well for like the last year and a half, two years, but like, I still having like some pretty significant episodes, um, for only like the last six months, have I been able to, were they all manageable? I'll put it that way. Tens of thousands of oh, dollars. Oh, yeah. I oh, lady. Thousands. No, I mean, I mind you, over the last ten or eleven years of marriage, tens yeah. of
1: thousands of dollars. You had lots of time.
0: Lots of time. I mean, in a year, I think the most I racked up in a year was like six thousand.
1: Yeah, see, I only did. I only did like a thousand. I mean, but like, really, only like, come yeah. on, that's a lot of money. <laughs> some some people it. listening are probably like, I don't know, right? Us. Like, and God bless us that we're privileged enough to have that to even do that. Yeah, um, and still be able to eat and like live, right? Um, But yeah, it was it was bad. I mean it, when
0: I was talking about the ATM moment, I did not have the money. <laughs> like I was I was I was living in like I had snap benefits and stuff at the time. So it's this not talking about where I had the money to be able to spend? Like I think it was a hundred dollars, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you are living in poverty, yes. that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I definitely didn't have it. But like to bring it back around, we're talking about right, like we're sharing our stories of when we were unmedicated or our medication wasn't working appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about your brother and and my daughter who were seeing this over, like my daughter's like, I don't have money to pay my rent. And I was like, well, I could probably take an educated guess on why you don't. Um, And I'm not, I I love her. I'm not giving her money because I know exactly what's gonna happen. Like, I know that she's probably gonna need to fall flat on her face. Before, time. yeah, before she'll say, I think I need help. Like when she gets in a really depressive mood, she'll say, I think I need help. And I'm like, okay, set up a counselor get a
1: psychiatrist. But then when she goes manic, she doesn't need help anymore. But isn't that the case with most people? Like, you know, we feel good. We feel good. And it's also pretty typical with newly medicated people, like either they go manic and they're like, I'm better, I'm healed, which we've all been in that position yep. or the medicine starts to work just enough. And you're like, I'm better. I'm healed. I don't need these pills. Yep. You know, and, and I, that's, that's the rub is like, they get depressed and they get to the point of wanting help. And then that cycle starts all over again. Mm-hmm and then we're up and we don't need help and I don't know what you're talking about and I'm good and it just it doesn't work I don't and know if
0: you go through it with your brother but does he hate you a lot when he's depressed and then when he's manic he's like I love you you're the best sister in the world because that's what my daughter does to me
1: mm-hmm. yeah he won't take my phone he won't take my phone calls when he's depressed he won't even he won't take my phone calls he won't won't respond to a text. He won't take my mother's phone calls. I mean, when he's depressed, just about the only one who can talk to him is my father. Now, when he's manic, he'll talk to any of us for yeah. hours, hours about nothing. And you'll get off the phone and be like, I don't even know what we talked about, but he did a lot of the talking. <laughs> yeah. She just dyed her
0: hair um, and gave me a hug last time I saw her and told me how awesome of a mom I am. And she's so lucky to have me. Well, uh, about a month or so ago, she was telling me I ruined her life and she hates my gut. So like, yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a good time because I'm just like, okay, am I good mom today? Am I bad mom today? Like which one? She won't come see me when she's depressed. She won't come yeah. see us. She hates her siblings. She hates all of us when, when she's depressed, but when but she's I mean, manic,
1: yeah. It's easy to hate someone rather than yourself, right? It's mm-hmm. easy to blame all your problems on somebody else rather than yourself because that takes a lot of inward looking and a lot of deep thought to to sit there and say, "This is me. I'm doing this." Nobody likes that. That's very uncomfortable. People spend years in therapy just to be able to somewhat do that. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing now that we're dealing with my brother is he was in a horrific car accident in the winter time and he almost died. Oh wow. And he broke his hip and his leg. And so it was like his right hip and left leg. So like he, he's messed up on both sides and he has a wound on his shin that will not heal. And it's Mm. one of those, like, if this doesn't heal, it's so big that like the legs got to go. Yeah. And so he needs to be calm and he needs to be drinking water and he needs to be off of his leg. And he needs to do all of this stuff. That's very hard to do on a good day, let alone when you're manic or when you're depressed. And when, you know, we're drinking alcohol instead of water, because we're trying to bring ourselves down and we're smoking cigarettes because we're stressed. And like, all of that is like constricting blood vessels Mm -hmm. and it's just making it, you know, the more stressed you are, the harder it is to heal And we're just seeing this spiral and it's like, you really got to start taking care. You're going to lose your damn leg. Yeah. And it's, it's almost to the point where it's like, well, maybe as screwed up as it's, maybe that's what has to happen. You know, maybe you have to lose your leg and then you'll realize that there's something fundamentally wrong.
0: I mean, some people never realize, right. We lose people yeah. to suicide all the time. People die by suicide all the time. And I, I really, uh, so when Naomi, I think, was not Naomi Judd that died? Is that? Yeah. 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 When she died and her family released that statement that said we lost our mother to suicide or not to suicide, to mental illness. I was like that perfect way to frame it. That's because what happened. Yeah. If, if I have a heart attack, people are going to say they lost me to, you know, heart disease. disease. And so you lose people to mental illness and sometimes people lose their battle because it just gets too hard. And this, I, I don't want this to turn into a blame game of like, it's their fault. Like, holy shit. Like I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Like it is a deep, dark place that nobody wants to be in, but like, We could, I fear all the time that because my daughter is not getting the help she needs, that's where I'm going to lose her.
1: I'm going to lose her
0: to like suicide. I'm going to lose her. She's going to like end up getting into drugs or something bad is going to happen. And that's my fear.
1: Yep. And that's my biggest fear with him is we will lose him. We will either lose him to mental illness in the form of suicide, or we will lose him to mental illness in the form of his heart giving out when he gets himself worked up because he is coming into his late 40s. He doesn't take care of himself. You know, mm-hmm. he goes to the doctor very rarely. We don't even know if his heart is helping. You know, it's like yep. we're going to lose him one way or another. And, you know, I told my mom the other day, I was like, bipolar is not something that gets better with age. If anything, it gets worse, mm-hmm. especially when it's untreated.
0: People typically develop it later on in life.
1: Yep. You, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And And that's frightening. You know, you don't mm want to like, I'm the baby. I don't want to put him in the ground early. Like that's horrifying, but I know that it's a very real possibility.
0: Yeah. And it's so, the reason, you know, we're sharing this is it's so important. People get the help that they need. And I, I will share a little, research with y'all one in five people in the United States live with a mental illness every year and up to upwards of 50% of people living in the United States will experience some sort of mental health disorder, mental illness in their lifetime. Now it may not be forever, right? Some people will develop the symptoms, have a mental illness for a certain period of time, recover because sometimes it's events, right? Like you might lose somebody to a death and you may Uh, develop major depressive disorder for like a couple years and then like you start to heal and things are good um and with
1: anxiety you can have anxiety without it lasting for forever
0: yeah and even have anxiety without actually qualifying as a mental illness yeah um because like there's the dsm-5 has certain qualifications for everything dsm-5
1: is trash (laughs) sorry i hate it (laughs) it's okay (laughs) um but i mean
0: my point is everybody knows multiple people multiple people that live with a mental illness whether they're aware or not and you may not be aware because they may not feel comfortable disclosing it for a multitude of reasons but it also might be your rhetoric around mental illness is why they're not comfortable disclosing it um but we know multiple people that means like If people aren't getting the help they need, we all could lose somebody like,
1: well, and I think it also, I mean, at least in my brother's case, it speaks to the holes that are in our care system. Absolutely. So many people go through those holes and drop through those holes and doctors don't notice and things aren't reported. And like you said, you know, we aren't blessed with two one one. We don't have mental health counselors who will show up and help somebody through a crisis. Like it just doesn't get caught and treated.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the top three barriers to our mental health care are accessibility, affordability, and stigma. Um, As people that listen know and you know, stigma is my interest because I mean, right now I'm not qualified to tackle the other two. mental health care in the United States sucks. Like, you know, there, I mean, some insurances barely cover anything at all. There's high co-pays. Uh, some people can't access it because they'd have to drive an hour plus just to go see someone who
1: accepts their insurance. They may or not have insurance. <laughs> there's a three month to six month waiting list to get into the doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big thing. Therapists and psychiatrists are very hard to get in to see, you know, yeah. Even when you find one that's close and takes insurance, like good luck getting an appointment because they're yeah. so stretched thin.
0: Especially right now, because there's such a high prevalence of mental illness because of the stress of the pandemic, yeah. the stress of you know, finances right now with the you know inflation and everything, the prices going up and everything. I mean, I remember last time gas prices were like this, I think it was the end of George. Bush's, like George W. Bush's term. And I was a broke ass college student. I'll tell you, that was stressful, so stressful because I could not afford it. But yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought it up that, like, not everybody, and that's why some people turn to their PCM, right? And then they get misdiagnosed, they end up on the wrong medication, things go worse, and it's just a cluster. But, anyways, Rebecca. As we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Because I know we've gone all over the board. We've gone all over the place. (laughs) My goodness. I think that,
1: you know, I think your point is very good to leave somebody with. We all know someone and several someones who have it. And, you know, it's very trite and you hear it all the time is you don't know what somebody is battling, you know, just always be kind. And I think that's important, especially after the pandemic and how mental health issues have become more and more prevalent. Like mm-hmm. take a moment and just be nice to somebody because that could be the tipping point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know where I would have been all these years if I didn't have some sort of support system in place. Yeah. My sister goes, trust me, there were times but you were you were
1: manageable. (laughs) I think the other thing too, is we learned this trick actually from a a colleague, an acquaintance who it works really well with our ADHD son. But like when somebody is coming to you for, for an ear or anything like that, when it comes to mental health, like don't do the cheer up or be happy or anything like that. I think the best question to ask is how can I help you? Yes. You know, what do you need me? Do you need me just to vent? Do you need my shoulder to cry on? Do I need to make you a casserole every Thursday and bring it to your house? So you're eating something. What do you need me to do? How can I help you?
0: Yes. I have a friend who's great at that. And I was last time I messaged her, I don't remember what it was, but I messaged her about it. And she, well, it was something about my thyroid and she's like, what can I do for you? What do you need right now? I'm like, I don't need
1: anything. I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) And that's fine. That's fine. That might be all they need. You know, sometimes all we need is somebody to vent to that's outside our care team. I will tell you that just that phrase, how can I help you has stopped so many ADHD meltdowns and anxiety meltdowns in our household in the past month. It's like magic, (laughs) yeah because he you know my son will get so stressed out and so overwhelmed and then we're trying to fix stuff that isn't the problem mm-hmm. just what can i do to help how do i help you
0: yes well rebecca thank you so much for coming on the podcast today thanks for having me again thank you for being a part of the inspired women audience if you enjoy this episode please leave us a rating review don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at inspired women podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.